Broadcasting live from actual comedic genius Dave Batista, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. And I'm one of your other hosts at fourth place winner in a Chris Pratt lookalike contest, Seamus Connolly. <laughs> that's, pre- that's pretty good. <laughs> I, I've been compared to that man in looks since like the middle of Parks and Rec, like high school times. They're just like, oh, this he's kind of chubby and he has kind of a beard and he's kind of funny. But yeah, I, I never, genuinely, I never thought I'd look like him, but I do, I, I want to look like him. I'd get Marvel-fied and get like a slick mustache and sideburns. I'll, I'll, I'll get closer to that. You know what's funny, Seamus? I, it's mostly your vocal inflection, but I think <laughs> who I think about more in these movies, not to get too far into our main segment, which is Guardians of the Galaxy Volumes 1 and 2, is Kurt Russell. And I know that you're a Russell boy, like oh, we are yeah. famously both Russell boys. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. But sometimes when I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, Kurt Russell, yeah, Seamus and Kurt Russell, there's something going on there. There's something going on there. (laughs) I need to drive however many miles to Graceland. (laughs) 3,000 3,000, thank you. Thank Uh, you, sir. You and Chris Pratt in the remake of 3,000 Miles to Graceland. I, yeah, sure. Just as long as as they do the thing where they put me in the Marvel body pod and I come out looking like (laughs) Captain America as they do, I'm in. Well... Let's get to some news real quick, and then then we'll come back and we'll talk more about making sure we can get you on a steroid regimen. <laughs> yes, yes. Up top, our first bit of news here is, at 96 years old, prolific entertainer and civil rights activist Harry Belafonte has sadly passed away. Seamus, I know you were saying up top before the show that obviously, you know, Beetlejuice is the first thing that comes <laughs> oh, to yes. mind for you when he when he comes up and his music is used very iconically in that film, I think. I think my first exposure to him though was on The Muppet Show, his excellent episode of The Muppet oh, Show. Oh, I had no idea he did an episode of The Muppet Show. It's great. And, you know, he and Fozzie do do Deo and it's hilarious. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. You should go watch that. That's not my rec center, but go watch the Harry Belafonte. <laughs> I, I definitely will, dude. That's a, that sounds like a blast. Yeah, I I mean, iconic music, obviously, like you were saying for me before. Just he he is the real Beetlejuice. You know what I mean? He was he was so used so effectively in those in that wacky movie. I can never forget that mu- those musical stylings. Not to mention an EGOT winner. I feel it's crazy. Yes. Oh my god. To talk about somebody, and you can talk about their list of accomplishments and how prolific their work and influence is before even, you know, getting to the fact that they have an EGOT. That really speaks to how influential he is. Yeah, that that is, like, the most insane accomplishment in Hollywood. It is it is nothing but impressive, truly. And we are going to talk a little bit more about Belafonte during our pop culture reference, but this is a massive blow for the cultural landscape i think i i mean he was a true legend not only in the field of entertainment but as just a cultural influence in america as a whole absolutely and he will be missed and something else that will be missed seamus is of, <laughs> well, how of, dare you transition <laughs> like that oh my god i i cannot believe that transition of equal importance to american <laughs> cultural history History, Garrett, history. National Treasure Edge of History has tragically, horrifyingly, (laughs) 
been cancelled at Disney Plus after one season, which you and I both famously thought was one of the greatest seasons of television ever put out. Oh my god. All sarcasm aside, Garrett Strother, I wanted... If we got one episode of Riley per season, that would have me limp along until whatever movie they have planned would be coming out. That would be my my dream wishes that are now crushed because of how bad that season was. And oh man, I wish it was better. And there are some great parts, but there I are am, some uh, good parts. There are some Riley parts. Riley Pool is the part. Riley Pool. But Riley Pool is all the parts. Now we'll never know what that other random Mesoamerican treasure is going to be at the end that they set up at the end of that season. No, they're dishing page 47 for National Treasure 3, and that's what's going to be the, the big mystery. Oh my mystery. god, the, the, the GM romance will be ignited once again, and we'll get a second Lady Gaga dance routine. They had to do it, Garrett. Don't you understand? They had to do that dance in that, uh, in that episode. They're sleeper agents, actually. That's, <laughs> that's their activation phrase. Oh, that would be. That's National Treasure, like, six, when they get into the dark CIA American history stuff. And it turns out that Riley's been a sleeper this whole time. Well, that's the thing I wonder about is, does this hurt the National Treasure brand enough? Because Disney Plus does not cancel things idly. Like, it has to... Be- perform pretty poorly, mm. and get really bad reviews, <laughs> I feel like, for Disney Plus not to pick up a second season of something like this. So uh, I do worry for the future of National Treasure 3, even though Riley yeah. Poole has 47 reasons uh, that he can't tell you I or whatever. Can't, I can't believe how excited I got when he said that. I My heart was, like, palpitating for real. But... Now, I, I I can't guarantee that I would have liked it anymore, but I would have watched every second of a second season of this show, dude. I know you would have as well. We would have, we would have done it for this show again. I feel like the locked-in nature of it being National Treasure, I was a little excited to see what other stupid stuff that they could bring to the table. But it shall never be, Garrett, until maybe these characters make a little cameo in National Treasure 3 in like 10 years. When um well I mean all of their FBI agents are dead except for Betsy Ross. <laughs> oh yeah. So. Oh god. Oh man. Yeah. They'll D- Nick Cage will be arrested for like stealing the Declaration of Independence again, which is my pitch for National Treasure Three. You know that is stealing the Declaration of Independence again. But he's gonna be like, I need a lawyer, and Riley's gonna be like, I know a young lawyer from Baton Rouge that I helped one time, and that it'll it'll bring forth all the Avengers crossover to get to get them in there. Well, you know, Return of the Jedi, the third Star Wars movie, Death Star again, but bigger. <laughs> so he needs to steal the Declaration of Independence and the Federalist Papers. <laughs> He needs to steal, like, the draft of the Declaration of Independence that's on display somewhere else. He needs to line them all up together, and it'll be like a magic eye thing where all the codes (laughs) line up. And he has a lens with glasses with, like, 20 frames that he he has to figure out the different codes for. Flipping through the stapled together constitution. (laughs) No, there's an Uh, amendment, Riley. It doesn't count. (laughs) I was going to say... They have to put it through, like, an office shredder and rearrange them so that it spells out where Lincoln's body is actually buried so we can go get his crystal skull, Riley. (laughs) Okay. National Treasure Edge of History, 
Gone, but not forgotten. <laughs> not for- never forgotten. I can guarantee you Salazar will live rent-free in my brain. Uh, Catherine Sider-Jones is just running around being a terrorist <laughs> in the, in the yeah. National Treasure Universe. Confirmed. Yeah, I think so. She's going to try to assassinate Benjamin Franklin Gates at some point. President Benjamin Franklin oh, Gates? Yes, absolutely. I almost just got too excited and had to bleep an expletive <laughs> right there. Oh, you're getting me too riled up here, man. <laughs> Rileyed up? Oh, come on. 47 reasons. Don't do this to me. But let's go ahead and transition over to our main segment, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. Let's do it. For today's main segment, we are talking about... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and Volume 2, James Gunn classics. Eh, they're in the MCU technically, but we, we don't even put that much weight on that and on this show here. Garrett, tell me about your experiences re-experiencing these absolute golden movies. I obviously saw both of these movies in the theater, and when Guardians of the Galaxy 1 first came out, I was kind of lukewarm on it, I won't lie. I thought it was good, but I did not think... That movie, the summer it came out, ruled the world. Oh yeah, dude, are you kidding me? Height of their powers, height of its cultural influence, and every single person I knew, their dad had a Bluetooth speaker out (laughs) in the yard that they were listening to the soundtrack on repeat Hell yeah. And... I was like, it's good, but it's not that good, guys. We all need to calm down here. And then Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out a few years later, and it blew me away. I love Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It is undeniably, especially after this rewatch, which I was a little bit worried about it holding up, Mm. undeniably my favorite Marvel movie. It has themes and character and depth far beyond anything else in this stupid little experiment that we've been doing for the last 15 years. <laughs> God, yeah. I love these characters unabashedly and wholeheartedly, even Chris Pratt, which is saying something. Uh, yeah, um, man, that's saying, that's saying a lot, yeah, for sure. But this is, I, I would also argue that this is before we reached, at least the first one, over Pratturation. <laughs> Critical Chris Mass, yeah, I... I think I know what you're saying, because I also, revisiting the first one at least, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed his performance. It's still not my favorite of probably anyone in the entire cast, but sure, better than I remember it being, for sure. I feel like he's gotten a little more comfortable in his just being Chris Pratt shtick thing, that he, it was unique enough, at least in Guardians 1, that I, I could notice it a little more. And then I think... He has a much stronger arc backing him up in Guardians 2 that Mm. keeps that momentum going, even if Pratt himself has lost a little bit of his luster by the time we roll around to to Volume 2. I totally agree with that, actually. I think his performance bores me a little bit more in Volume 2, with a couple notable moments of exception for sure, but just his overall character's trajectory, the arc that he goes on, Keeps me really locked in for for somebody whose actor I'm not necessarily super jazzed about. Agreed. And Karen Gillan and Zoe Saldana are working so hard to act through 16 pounds of makeup. I was going to say, however many face layers. Oh my god, I feel for them. They both kill it. They feel so alive and vivid and real. I think that they honestly are 
as we were just mentioning, even though these aren't super MCU-y, the most compelling case for Thanos being a good villain up until we actually get to him in Infinity War. Totally, yeah. And then, of course, our sweet baby boy, the man who we shouted out right up top, Dave Bautista. Absolutely love him. Drax is so funny. He's so funny. He's so intense. And I know I was talking about, like, to you before, Garrett, about, like, his WWE days and, like, his origins and kind of Drax being his, like, bigger break into Hollywood stuff. Is that fair to say? I feel like I don't remember him in many major things before this. I remember reading an interview when this movie came out, when Guardians of the Galaxy 1 came out, where he talked about the day he got the call that he had booked Drax, he broke down crying, and that afternoon went and enrolled in acting classes because he wanted to get really good to be in this movie because he is, in real life, a huge, not only Marvel fan, but specifically he loves the Guardians of the Galaxy from childhood. I didn't know that either, actually. That is such an incredible connection because I was going to... Give mad, mad props to just the intensity, just nothing but energy from him. Even when he's like reeling it back in and doing kind of sweeter moments, you're like, you, there's something behind him in this character that really is just fired up all the time. It, it's so, it's so incredibly well done. I completely agree. And speaking of fired up, Bradley Cooper. Also oh, love fantastic. him. Just I was just watching those uh, behind the scenes clips of him in the booth doing the voice work for Rocket and how he was like he was kind of like under the microphone. He was like craning his head upward as if he was a short raccoon man. And I, I it is one of some of my favorite vocal acting that I can think of. He, he's just very, very funny. One of the my other most favorite funny people in this movie. And I cannot wait for him to make me ball like a little baby this Friday. I can't do it, man. I'm not going to be able to handle it. Because I like, I, there's, you know, some points where he gets real in these Guardians movies. And I got, I got a little choked up, you know? Like, I, I really feel for this character. And I, I, I'm afraid of what they're going to do to me with, with the origin stuff in, in Volume 3. From what I'm reading, this movie, Volume 3, is not for children. And oh, that is pretty messed up in some places. So I'm, I haven't read very much because I'm trying to go in with a completely clean slate. But yeah. I'm hearing it can Ooh, get man. pretty, pretty messed up. I am not looking forward to seeing a raccoon be put together piece by piece. That sounds gnarly. That sounds really yeah. rough. But before, but before we forget, Mr. Vincent Diesel, Vin Diesel himself. Mark Sinclair himself. Mark Sinclair, Vin Diesel the man. I am Groot. Really good. I like it's funny to say it, but it's so so good. And I don't. I again more spoiler things ahead, but I'm I'm tearing up at some parts with Groot yeah. out here, and it it's crazy to me that like I definitely didn't have that reaction when I first watched like Guardians One and a lot of these moments that I'm referencing now. But looking like the relationship I have with these characters now, it's. It's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different viewing experience, really, every time I go back. Not only is this the kind of role that Vin Diesel kind of came up doing, I, th- I think that Groot and the Iron Giant have a lot of overlap. 100%, yes. But also, I think that the, the family theming <laughs> of the Guardians of the Galaxy films, and I'm not really kidding. 
No, I, I was thinking this exact same thing, dude. It's probably something that really resonates with him, and we know that he takes stuff like this very, very seriously. And I have to have shown you at some point the behind-the-scenes footage of Vin Diesel recording his lines in the studio. I think so? I I don't know if I remember that. I feel like I would very specifically remember that. I think I need to watch this. Well, you need to watch it as soon as humanly possible the second we get off this record because... <laughs> I will. He, he is walking around on stilts. Nope, I've seen this footage. Yep, yeah, I definitely have seen that. That is incredible. <laughs> that unlocked the memory of me seeing that. <laughs> Wearing oh, his sunglasses. Hell yeah, going into man. Going the international recording session going, Yo, soy guru. <laughs> He's so professional. He does all of his dubbing. That's incredible. So professional. <laughs> he is he is genuinely really good in this. And um, I don't really know who mocaps Groot because I do think that we should shout out Sean Gunn, who in addition to being the very charming, very Kraglin. funny Kraglin is the onset mocap for Rocket when mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper is doing the voice. He is doing onset, all of the gestures, walking around on his knees like he's playing Farquaad on Broadway. <laughs> oh, goodness, yeah. Those behind-the-scenes pictures are very funny. Of him in the green suit that's just his face is cut out in the circle is very funny. <laughs> Standing next to Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana. <laughs> yeah. So, I-, I know that we kind of transitioned immediately from my history with Guardians of the Galaxy into talking about this cast and how great they are. So I would love to give you the opportunity to come back and talk a little about bit about your trajectory with, with this series. Well, I, like many, like probably most people who saw Guardians back when the first one came out, had no idea, had never heard of the Guardians of the Galaxy in like comic book form at all, ever. You know, I thought, I always appreciated like how out of left field it felt when it came out i was just you know really interested in because i was getting a little bored even with the mcu stuff back then i thought it was an interesting sci-fi angle and i i think i i even missed the theater run of the first one and i kind of just caught it on red box uh uh, however long later that would have been but i i genuinely remember really loving it and then Keeping it in higher regard than Guardians 2 for a while until I stopped being an idiot and realized that Guardians 2 is one of the best sci-fi action movies of the last however many years, let You're alone... talking my language, Seamus. Like, You're talking al- my language. Exactly. Like, I, we're on the same page with that, let alone MCU stuff. It's just like an incredibly compelling sci-fi adventure with characters that I care a lot about, and I know that character stuff stems out from future and past MCU stuff that they later become a part of. But, you know, seeing Guardians 2 in the theaters was just incredible. I I love to watch it all the time. Or whenever I do watch it, I'm not, like, watching it all the time. I'm not like Garrett Strother over here who's just popping it in left and right. But honestly, I probably could because it's that good of a movie. Back when you first met me, Seamus, I was watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2 regularly. That was <laughs> I, con- yeah, dude, I remember that. And it holds up. It really does. It, because I, going back into this, was like, okay, this is going to be a good movie. It's going to fall a little bit. But at the end of Guardians 2, I stood up. I I gave it a standing ovation in my <laughs> living room alone. Oh, God. Yeah, you were doing... You were dancing to Inferno, or whatever that's called. Uh-huh. The oh, Guardian's Inferno. I Absolutely. love it. 
Love it to death. Um, I just watched that bizarre music video last night as well. Which just <laughs> blew my mind that I've video. never seen before. It was very funny. Uh, uh, on my Blu-ray, I assume. <laughs> yeah, I actually I, I threw that one on on Disney Plus. Actually, oh. I, I was going through the extras over there for some reason. Um, I, I, w- I will say this is so kind of well. You know, I don't want to digress too much. <laughs> it's so counterintuitive to me that the special feature has essentially died in the age of streaming when. Streaming is the perfect package for that kind of stuff. It for really is. It really is. And I love when there's like extensive extras in, in a streaming thing. Because Disney Plus has been doing pretty well with it when it when it has the, you know, whatever, the, the extras tab yeah. on, the, on the bottom there. There was a ton for Guardians and Guardians 2. They are excellent about that. You're totally right. That is something we can really give to Disney Plus, I think, that they work hard to make sure... Pretty much all of the extras from a Blu-ray release will be on Disney Plus with it. I'm trying to think about... I want to get into spoilers, Garrett, if I'm being honest. I want to really get into it. Let's do it. Let's yeah, do I, it. let's I, let's do it here. I I do. I, let's go one two probably, and maybe Christmas I special. Agree. Are we talking Christmas special? I'll talk Christmas special. I'll talk the I am Groot shorts. You're, you're going to have to talk me through like the first twenty minutes of Love and Thunder. Maybe is that even r- applicable to this? <laughs> we can get episode? into it. We'll get into okay, it. We'll okay. get into it. We can talk Infinity War. We can talk Endgame. Yeah, yeah, we can yeah. talk the whole spoilers for the Marvel Cinematic, <laughs> Cinematic Universe. universe. But only the stuff with the Guardians of the Galaxy. In it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, what if we got, they got some fun? What if stuff in there that I actually did like? Um, I was gonna, I was gonna say this earlier pre spoilers, but I, I might as well just say it now. I enjoyed Guardians Volume One probably more than I have since I saw it the first time with this rewatch. I, I like it a little bit less every time I see it because I always remember it being a lot better. And this time, I, I went in with like rock solid expectations of like you know what movie this is you've seen it a thousand times (laughs) like don't get your hopes up and it'll be a good experience but then really analyzing it there it pretty much literally everything except for the stuff on nowhere post the drunk gambling rant and then you mean when it turns into a marvel movie for 20 minutes yeah i really hated that stupid space chase i even like the idea of drax calling in Mr. Big Bad Blue over here to come in with the hammer. <laughs> Lee Pace. We didn't even mention Lee Pace. <laughs> oh, we didn't. He's, he's going insane in this movie. He doesn't get enough to do. He it's really sad. does. It's like Christopher Eccleston in Thor 2. It's, it's very just like, much like that. Same era, too. Honestly, very similar character design for me. Like I, I, I misremembered that Christopher Eccleston was in Guardians <laughs> 1 for like 20 minutes for a while. Even with him on screen, I was like... Why does he look so weird? And then I, I got with the program, but I just, I, everything pretty much between the post drunk rant and then right up until the, the siege of Xandar, because everything after that too, I'm like, I'm loving the Nova Corps stuff, like the, the, the net deal, the net maneuver. I, I don't know. I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but I no really, kidding. I really liked volume one more than I have in a long time. I think the thing that always turns me off on a Volume 1 rewatch is this movie is as ugly as every other Marvel movie, pretty much. Mm, Yeah. The caveat being, Gunn knows how to block and how to light in a way that... And I'm not just trying to give Gunn credit for that. Obviously, there's an entire creative team behind Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. But it has that gray sludge color palette that all the Marvel movies have... 
and Volume 2 does yeah. not have that, and I think that I'm always like, oh, yeah, this is the one that doesn't look awesome. Because yeah, there's, like, weirdly, like, so many more, like, highlight colors on screen than a lot of Marvel things, but it's, like, it's battling against that gray sludge, you know? Yep. You got, like, the bright yellow alien species and, the like, the fuchsia alien people and, like, a lot of bright-colored weaponry attacks and things like that, the red Ravager uniforms, but... It it fights against what it is, which, like you were saying, is a Marvel movie, and then Guardians 2 comes around, and it's like, it's all color, it's all bright and interesting on these environments that they take time to make it a little more visually pleasing than instead of the regular stuff, and it really stands out. I completely agree. I think a perfect example of this is the opening credits of Guardians 1, which are iconic, and I think oh, yes. for good reason. You know, totally. It's a very fun introduction to that movie and that character. Well, not exactly an introduction to that character, because an introduction to the adult version of Star-Lord. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, right off the back of that super sad up opening I was talking about, where he's like screaming and getting abducted, you know, with mom passing away in front of him. It's very, very intense stuff. And then right to the literal flipping a switch of diegetic music cue that he's dancing to. It's It's kind of dynamite. But it, while being fun and different and cool is gray and kind of boring looking, even though the camera movement's very dynamic. Oh, yeah. And there is good blocking. Like, when you cut to the wide where the title comes up, Guardians of, in huge font, Guardians oh, of the yeah. Galaxy, and you see there is one sliver of, like, harder, brighter light that hits Star-Lord exactly where he's standing in frame. And so they are thinking about these things and lighting them well, Another one is Drax's introduction in the prison is incredible. Oh, it my... is so articulate and cinematic. It lets you know who that character is and what his deal is immediately. Like shots through doorways, through railings, across the the prison, and then like landing on him is I I clocked that hardcore. That was that was incredible. But from a structural perspective, I think that this movie is very impressive because. Certainly more than it would be allowed to now by Marvel standards. It is, one, it's meaner and in, in tone, but yeah, yeah. it has a much slower, more intentional pace than most of these movies. It really lets the characters breathe, and I know this is such a low bar. Like, the characters are talking to each other, and we're <laughs> learning more about them yeah. before they actually team up, and... That's how you write a good summer blockbuster. That's how you write an exciting mix of interesting and distinct characters that go on so many twists and turns. You bring up Drax calling in Ronan because they are all after their own thing. And it's only at the very end that they truly become a team. And that's so vital to this story. And if you compare it to something like the first Avengers movie, which came out at a comparable time and is trying to do a comparable thing, the structure of this is just so much more engaging and cleaner, but also messier <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> well, I, I totally know what you mean, because I was also thinking about the Avengers, the, the OG 2012, 2012? 2012, yep. Good lord, Jesus Christ. Almost, almost exactly... 11 years ago today. Almost, <laughs> almost exactly. Oh my god, that's too close. Too close for comfort. But I was going to say, it's like, there, there is that, going back, going back to the family dynamics, it's unique character interactions between a group of people who grow to love each other 
versus the Avengers where it's just like, I don't know if I can work with this guy. Well, I don't know if I can work with this guy. And I don't know if I can work. I have a problem with this guy's legacy and powers and this guy's whole thing. And it's just kind of a, a samey amalgamation that they're cornered into working together because it's the Avengers and that's what they were building up to at the time and they kind of have to do that. And that runs through so many other Avengers-specific movies where those character interactions kind of get fleshed out more and evolve from where they started. But in one movie with Guardians Volume 1, you're getting so much of so many different things between these characters, even if it's like just the different interactions of like the group with Groot and how their their personal interactions go about with each other. And I don't know, it's it's so well done, and that's why maybe even specifically on this rewatch with my rock bottom expectations, I I just really enjoyed how everything fleshed itself out. But by the time we get to the end, and it kind of starts losing me a little bit again. Well, you mentioned Groot, and he's used the perfect amount in this movie. He's, mm. he's used pretty sparingly. He's mostly Rocket's accessory. Yeah, he's the, he's the mech suit for this raccoon. And he's the only one that isn't taking things seriously, too, inter- like in an interesting way, that especially during the prison sequence, I just kept thinking, these characters are such badasses, and they're all taking everything so seriously... In a way that you're not used to seeing, you, like they're adult. These are adults in an adult world. In a way that you're not used to seeing anymore in big summer movies very often. And Groot is the child among them, even before <laughs> yeah. he's literally the child yes. among them. Like he's just like along. He's just along for the ride. You he know? just wants to help. He's just smiling. He's waving at people. I mean, giving he... little girls flowers. <laughs> Maybe. One of some of the most brutal violence of the MCU is watching him like shove his expanding branches up this like gross prison dude's nose or like Nathan Fillion. That's Nathan Fillion. Yep. I'm so dumb. I probably learn that every time I watch this movie, and I always forget. That's incredible. Oh, but even his like hallway massacre where he just like sticks his log arm through ten people Absolutely. and then beats the other twenty people to death with the ten people. <laughs> he's a he's a menace. He's he's a menace. That Groot. He really is. He really really is. Well, that's the. Uh, I mentioned how mean the tone is, and there is there is really natural swearing in this movie. Oh, totally. And on top of that, drunkenness, suicide, slavery, <laughs> all treated just like realities of this grimy galaxy that these characters inhabit. Yeah, there's even I mean like they get a lot more into it in this in volume 2 obviously, but there's even like a like trafficking, like trafficking Peter as a child pretty much. He's like you know hiring outlaws to kidnap and deliver human cargo. It's very it's very weird implications with that stuff. But then you transfer to the flip side and there's a lot of wonder in these films, like when Groot releases all of his glowing oh, seedlings, love and that. Such a great balance between the the harsher tone and I gotta say, there was a moment in this where I was where I was thinking about the wonder, and I know this is a movie you haven't seen, but I was thinking about the wonder in this film specifically, and I was like, this kind of feels like the nineteen seventy eight Superman. And oh. I'm like, maybe James Gunn is gonna really do a good job. <laughs> oh Superman. yeah, dude. 
Wow, full circle. We've kind of we were expressing a little bit of hesitation when we brought that up however many weeks ago on this show, but that is an interesting that is an interesting take. If Groot is a lot like the Iron Giant, and the Iron Giant is basically Superman. It's Superman. It's all coming together, baby. It is all coming together. (laughs) Oh man. Wow, that is that is an interesting take. And now I'm now I'm way more jazzed about about this whole Superman thing. I'm I'm looking forward to that. And Another thing that it has in common with with great summer movies, great blockbusters, great superhero films like Superman, is that it knows how to deploy its score really well. Marvel usually hides its score, dampens its score, Mm. even when it has genuinely compelling themes, it usually only uses it like a theme song. You know, you get the one moment in the Avengers movie where they play the Avengers theme and everybody <laughs> runs and whatever. Yeah, yeah, the non-assemble moment until, you know, however long later. It's like, They this... use it as a button. It's a button that doesn't really yeah. mean much in the end, but it's here, here, oh man. That's a great way to say it. They use it as a button. But here it is really part of the tapestry of the film. It is in the emotional moments, in the wondrous moments, in the action-heavy moments, and it's not just relying on the Guardian's theme, which, I mean, has is a solid theme, but it's not as strong as something like the Avengers theme. But the fact that it's deployed so much more thoughtfully makes it much more impactful, mm. I think. And Tyler Bates does a really great job with this score. But yeah, I, I, love, I love these movies, dude. <laughs> I think one is really, really strong, and I think especially the end of one, how little dialogue there is and how much it really... I mean, the moment at the end of one that's just quietly him putting volume two in, No Mountain High Enough starts playing, Mm. you see him crying, you see Gamora... like He and Gamora have this moment... She does a little dance for him. Like, there, do you see the chemistry between them? We're off on another adventure. That is that's cinema, baby. It really yeah, dude. is good. It's little good bit of both. That, that's the best. Yeah, it's it's well done. Because also in that little in that little moment you're describing, I also noticed it's like not only are they having a direct connection, Gamora and and Quill in that in that moment, but there's also like you can see his new family, like, in the background, like, with him. They are together in their, like, weird outlaw home that they have decided to be with each other in. It is, it's, it's good. It's good stuff. And even something like, you know, the the, the package from his mom, the present from his mom, could be so ham-fisted and obvious, but the writing is natural enough and subtle enough that it really feels satisfying at the end when he finally opens it because mm-hmm. you know it could be some kind of dumb like truly a literal jj abrams mystery box of like oh, what God, does mom yeah. give him but it's there at the beginning you set up payoff reminder right that's that screenwriting and it's there at the beginning you see him get it you see his grandpa put it in the back but that's not the point of that scene the point of the scene is between peter and his mother and then you get the reminder when Rocket's going through the drawers, and it's just there for a second. They don't make a big deal out of it. He just puts it back in. Mm-hmm. And then, then finally, the very end of the movie, we get that fantastic payoff, which is both a great summation of Peter's arc over the course of the film, and also a promise of adventure yet to come. Man, very well put. I think 
Let, I mean, we can go back to Volume 1. I mean, we've already been dabbling in Volume 2 a little yeah. bit, so... So let's really go into Volume 2, because the music sequences in the first film are good, and they tell you a lot about character, and they're deployed well. The music sequences, and I mean all of them, I don't just mean the action sequences, all of the music sequences in Volume 2 are euphoric. <laughs> they're incredibly well done. It's It's insane to me. Because, obviously, you have great, really memorable sequences, like, come a little bit closer with Yondu's arrow, and, of course, I think that the opening of Volume 2 is the most stylistically bold opening of any of these Marvel films, from the Brandy stuff with Kurt, with young de-aged Kurt Russell, which mm. is the first time I ever remember thinking de-aging looks good, straight into the opening with the, with the interdimensional... Rathtar thing that yeah, they fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, of course, the Wonder Mr. Blue Sky dance sequence with Baby Groot, which, again, really steals the show. But you have these smaller moments, like you have Sam Cooke when Gamora and Peter are dancing together, or, of course, the incredible closing scene set to Cat Stevens, which is so emotional and a real a real downer of an ending for a movie <laughs> yeah. like this. Oh man, yeah. There, it is it's all absolutely masterfully done. I'm trying to remember cuz you already mentioned Yond- the Yondu's arrow massacre madness, absolutely incredible when Rocket is defending the ship. Oh, yeah, what with Glenn Campbell. Yeah, yeah, oh. man. Love it to death. I, I such such glee in that raccoon boy. I think also and this is this is a personal bias that I'll admit right out the gate. Guardians 2 also just has more music that I really listened to regularly before that movie came out. I mean, I love Glenn Campbell. I, Mr. Blue Sky was at one point probably my favorite song. It's a, it's a banger. It's um, a good song. Sam Cooke is, you know, one of the best musicians ever to live. And, of course, Lakeshore Drive, which... I don't. I feel like when I saw this movie in the theater, I was like, "People outside of Chicago know this song, <laughs> like Short Drive." Oh, now everybody knows it, man, because it's in literally the best Marvel movie. Uh, I remember seeing an interview with Gunn right after it came out because I looked it up, and he was talking about how he grew up in St. Louis, which is why Quill is oh. from Missouri in these movies. And he was talking about how the guys going down the Mississippi, the shipping guys, brought Lakeshore Drive down that to St. Louis. That's rad. That's like, that's awesome. That is such a weird, old-timey <laughs> distribution of media. That's incredible. He really knows what he's doing with the music. And I mean, I, I the, the Kurt Russell of it all is also, so <laughs> I just want to, I just, I would love, we talked about the de-aging and his dimples and his beautiful smile and beautiful voice. I, it's incredible to see him like that in the intro. And, I mean, to see all of his weird alien makeout scenes behind the scenes for them to make that, like, porcelain hologram museum. Uh-huh. Just a treat. He, he's such a whack job in this movie. Like, because he's Kurt Russell. Am I, am I right? You know, you want to love him. You want him to be a good pop. They're playing catch together at, at some times. But, I mean, he's such a incredible and such a weird crazy villain in these movies i wish he could have stuck around for longer but i i don't know how that could even be written with the character that he plays in this in this movie he is having so much fun in this movie because he's perfect casting for so many 
many different reasons. One, he does have a similarity to Chris Pratt. Sure. And two, he is the perfect 80s icon that Pratt would have idolized, that is, or that <laughs> Star-Lord would have idolized, that is directly mentioned in the text when he turns into David Hasselhoff. Or, I'm sorry, Xandar Hasselfrau and his Z- magic coat. <laughs> Hasselfrau, of course, of course. <laughs> Madness, Jesus. Uh, and I love that that's not only in the in the bit, <laughs> but then you have the callback to it during the end credits with the Guardians Inferno. <laughs> yeah, we are Groot. It is bizarre, bizarre, and it, it feels similar to even like the Kevin Bacon running get running oh, yeah, bit in for the sure. first one and because that's a great line at the end of the first one with Gamora the one time Gamora gets really excited and goes we're just like Kevin <laughs> just Bacon like Kevin Bacon in like a dog fight like crash landing <laughs> episode uh, 1 style Anakin in the Naboo fighter just skidding across the ground of a hangar mowing uh, down so many people get I know I know it's a Marvel movie and that's like they don't care when people like regular people get killed, but so many people die in in these movies. It's crazy. I mean, Yandu, definitively a good guy in Guardians 2, kills dozens of men. Dozens yeah. without remorse. Like in cold blood. He is he's such a that's I uh, are we, let's talk about Yandu. What you wanna talk about Yandu for a second? I like the star would love to talk about it, yeah. Such a one eighty for my feelings on him between these two movies it's 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 really wild because I remember like obviously loving Michael Rooker like as a performer in that first movie but being like wow he's like a like oh wow a real scumbag character that they're not gonna like kill off in one movie like that's an interesting thing to have like a scumbag with things that he wants from our main characters you know love it love a space pirate a space marauder and then the complete turnaround to me, like, being so upset about what happens to him in Guardians 2. Because in Guardians 1, he still does come around a little bit. They make the alliance with the Ravagers and the, you know, do their thing. But he's still, like, a jerk and, like, takes the orb that he thinks, has, you know, the whole the whole deal. But the, the arc that he goes through to come back around to be one of the Guardians of the Galaxy, damn it. It is beautiful. It's beautiful to see. And it hurts my heart every time. As great as Kurt Russell is, and you know it takes a lot for me to I say that. I was going to say, how that is a bold first half of a sentence. <laughs> the thing that elevates Guardians 2, the thing that brings it into the greatness that it is, is the Rocket and Yondu storyline. Yes. Because it's already a good tale about fatherhood and family, or parent, a parenthood, I should say. Even though it is very definitively about, about father fatherhood, and yeah, but like, I get what you're saying. But, you know, I mean, also Groot's relationship with somebody like Gamora or Nebula is is, mm. is equally important to his relationship with somebody like Rocket or, or Drax. So I'm going to say parenthood. And it's Rocket and Yondu's angle of being a bad person and overcoming that for your child that is what makes this movie so strong and yondu's sacrifice of his own life but also rocket's loss of his compatriot is heartbreaking because that last funeral scene what makes it so great again it already would be a strong resonant mm-hmm. moment if you just had you know the ravers showing up and 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 Craglin being excited and Groot and and Drax and all of that but rocket 
is mourning a person who he has now made a very deep, very real, meaningful connection with, which we know Rocket is not keen to do, and none of the other Guardians actually understand what he's going through because they have not been with him. They Empire Strikes Back in this movie, which is a great decision to split up the crew, and he's having to go through this ostensibly alone, and obviously he's getting support from Peter in in that final moment. But he's going through it alone. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's he, he formed the connection with the rest of the Guardians, uh, surely it, by the events of the the movies here. But he's still, he's you know, he's Rocket Raccoon. He's got he's got his guard up. He's still like a snarky little bastard, and he you know will often be more sarcastic than honest if if he can at any given time with you know somebody like Quill. But he like opens up with Yondu, and he like really lets it spill out. And one of the things or I guess two of the things that I'm worried about about this third Guardians movie is how much it really affected me when he does open up in these movies, If you, you know, whether that be getting too drunk in the first one and kind of spilling his guts or his stuff with Yondu in the second one. He is, like, when he gets honest, he gets way too real for my, you know, emotions. It, it gets so interesting. And I, I mean, I'm looking forward to something like that in the third one, especially considering what we're talking about and his you know, his growth, he he can maybe open up a little bit more after we saw in, in Guardians 2, or maybe he, he is more stunted again because of one of the only people that he could ever have understand what his life is and, and vice versa is, is now gone. He it, It's a major loss to him as well as everyone else. And I, I think looking at the weightiness of the emotion in this film, one criticism that it would be relatively easy to level at it is Drax goes from a fierce mournful warrior in this film to the to more of the comic relief and there are still great moments where we see the depth of Drax's pain and I mean one of the great scenes of this movie is Mantis who we haven't even talked about yes her and Drax's sit down on um Ego? On Ego, I guess? On Ego. Yeah. And where she touches him and feels his grief and is openly weeping and he's just sitting there, you know, uh, relatively content and we know that that's a pain that Drax just carries with him Mm -hmm. through his life but through finding his, his family in the rest of the Guardians has been able to kind of come to a peace with it and it doesn't come out as bloodlust any longer i mean he still he still loves killing things <laughs> he's still drax the destroyer i just wish it, i i really do wish it was a little more drax the destroyer uh he can still have those like emotional epiphanies with mantis and stuff but i they make him a little yeah. too stupid to be i mean he's still really funny god but damn I love it, it he's, he's so I, funny uh, he really is the 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 slow the not moving to be invisible thing i think is is a great bit and that's infinity war even that's not even no one of these movies. is it yeah yeah <laughs> Oh boy! Oh geez, Louise! I think Drax should have been the one to disrupt Mantis's stuff with Thanos. I'm gonna say it. That makes way more sense I, than Peter Quill doing that garbage. I agree, but I think that in this movie, his destroyerness comes out more as he's just not afraid of anything. Like even when Kurt Russell <laughs> is initially landing in his egg pod, and they're all gearing up, ready for battle, scared, and he's like excited. I bet it's the one inch man. I hope it's the one inch man. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's very good. His giddiness does not falter from the first movie, which is 
which is something that I definitely enjoy. His he's so he thinks danger and violence is so funny, and I do too. Apparently, when I'm with Drax, because it, it is really funny. Uh, but I also love. His moments of humanity and selflessness, like, at the end, during the moment where Ego is is overwhelming all of our heroes, and he's sinking into the quicksand of the planet, and he holds Mantis all the way over his head to give her yeah. as much time as possible, even when he's gonna die, maybe. Ah, uh, hero. He's a hero, that Drax. He is. I'll say it, but it's also very funny when he... <laughs> gets stabbed with an arrow and screams for 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, he really is. Oh, that's very good. Oh, watching him in the Guardians once, like, crash through the side of the the giant ship, and he's just loving it like a roller coaster, like a baby in a stroller with a mobile, <laughs> just loving it. Uh, speaking of babies... We gotta talk Baby Groot. Baby Groot. I enjoy Baby Groot a lot, and I I will never not want my boy Big Adult Groot back. Because he's my favorite ev- evolution of Groot, is big, fully capable, uh, Vin Diesel on stilt style Groot, <laughs> you know? But Baby Groot's adorable. God damn it, I can't I can't take it away from him. He's adorable, very funny. I like the squeakier I am Groot voice, obviously. He's just a little <laughs> less capable than I like, you know? He's adorable in a little uh, Ravager, little one, onesie jumpsuit, but oh, I, I like he's big He's so capable. sad, Seamus. He's, oh, he's so sad in that dude, scene. Dude, that breaks my heart. He's covered in, like, space beer, and he's, you know, being yelled at. Oh, it makes me so sad. But then he gets to murder them all later, so. Steals that guy's toe. Toe? He, he cuts a off a guy's toe, baby. Yeah, <laughs> maniac. He's still he's still <laughs> he gets, a maniac. He's still like like him running into battle, doing his little baby Groot scream. I uh, I think it's incredible and pretty scary. If I was on the other end of that, the whole sequence of him okay, th- genuinely. I'm just gonna say the whole third act because the third act of this movie is such a crowd pleaser. Specifically, going from basically from the moment that Yondu crashes. In with the hey jackass in the big mining vessel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the way through to Groot and and I literally pumped my fists in the air when Rocket and Quill jump out of the ship with their jetpacks on and Groot is just oh, hanging yeah, on dude. to Rocket's back. And then of course the bomb scene with you know oh, yeah dude absolutely <sighs> hilarious so adorable because like he was already kind of like a dopey kind of guy back in big Groot days uh-huh. but it's just so amplified by baby Groot brain it's it's the best <laughs> i i love it wait wait uh, can, can i clear something up with you real quick i yes. it, baby Groot isn't the same Groot he yeah, is like the offspring like yeah, the it's sapling of Groot Junior, he's he's okay. Groot's son. He does not have any of the memories of the old Groot. He's a new being. Okay, all right. That's that's what I thought, and that's what I thought I read somewhere. But I just wanted to make that clear because it's also like Big Groot is Baby Groot's dad, but also Rocket is Baby Groot's dad, which is like a, a whole. I mean, weird yeah, Rocket thing. is definitively Baby Groot's dad. Honestly, I mean, Rocket was Big Groot's too. dad, so I mean, like it, it's it's it makes sense. I I don't <laughs> care for teen Groot 
as much, if I'm being honest. I feel like he needs to be an extreme, damn it. I don't want middle Groot. I think that, I, I mean, I love the post credit scene of this the, movie. The, where he's Teen like Groot. an arrogant video game playing Teen Groot. I do, I do like that. I think that Teen Groot is one of the worst parts of Infinity War, a movie that on the whole I actually like a decent amount uh, because I, I don't care about him playing his Tommy pocket football and being <laughs> mean to people. Yeah. Like, I, I, get, I, I agree that it just doesn't really work for me. Like, it's a funny joke, sure. Like, I get that yeah. it's like we did, we're doing all the different ages, but, like, but Groot I needs love... to be nice, man. That's my bottom line. He needs to be nice. I love, he's introduced in the Christmas special, and now he's coming through in Guardians 3, like, jock himbo Groot. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm very into Oh, that's fun. It's very funny, dude. He's going to start having beef with, like, Quill and Thor. He's going to be like, I am Groot, and it's going to be like, you're copying my voice? <laughs> That's pretty funny. (laughs) They're going to get into beef, dude. So yeah, I love that incarnation of Groot. And I'm curious to see if by the end of... I mean, assuming any Guardian makes it out of Guardians 3, which I don't even think is a given, to be honest. There are no guarantees in my mind. For what little I know, I feel like anyone's on the chopping block. But I would love to see what stage he's in at the end of 3. and Because, I mean... (sighs) Without Gunn, I'm not interested in seeing these characters again. I'm barely interested in seeing them in a larger universe. I Like, they have important roles in Infinity War and Endgame, and obviously I like some of the things that they, you know, they have some good jokes I mean, yeah, in them, those movies. I, uh, Peter Quill holding a pistol to Spider-Man's head and, like, asking him, like... I'm not from Earth, I'm from Missouri. <laughs> yeah, like that, like them mashing into each other like that, I, I enjoy that a lot, actually. But, you know, when it gets down to, like, the, the Gamora and stuff of it all, it feels like I want to like it more than I actually do in the larger movies. Because from a character perspective, Gamora dying at the hands of Thanos is interesting. And they are not given the time Mm. to fully explore the ramifications of that. Like, in Endgame, Peter goes back to Earth for the first time since his mother died, and they don't even talk about that. He doesn't even really get a line when he comes back, really. Like, he he gets plopped right into the fight post-D-snap. Uh-huh. So, like, and it's more about his finding Dimension Gamora than it is about him being back on Earth. And their stuff in Thor, Love and Thunder, is nothing. It's as I watched the first 30 minutes of Thor, Love and Thunder exclusively for the Guardians of the Galaxy, and I turned off the movie because it was bad. <laughs> it's so sad. It I'm, still, sad. I'm still sad about Love and Thunder being bad, because I like... Ragnarok, Ragnarok a lot. Yeah. I like Taika Waititi's work a lot. I don't know. That it's, it still bums me out, especially because the Guardians are there. Like, how are you messing? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to rant if I keep going. They do not know how what to do with them in that movie. And then they, they leave. Like, they don't do a single memorable thing in that movie. And what, so what's the point? Why, why did we even do that? I mean, we did it because, wow, look, the Guardians of the Galaxy are here. Guess I kind of want to watch Love and Thunder... Don't. Before, for I mean, do just think. I know, do I know, it. dude. You saw, you saw the Christmas special. <laughs> I have to. No, I am Groot to, shorts. Maybe date. if you're gonna watch anything, watch those I am Groot shorts on Disney Plus. Where is Will Poulter in the universe here? Famously well, set up at the end of Guardians Two. Yeah, and he's been. That's the thing that's weird about Guardians Three. Is Guardians Two takes place maybe six months after the first Guardians. It's not been very long. Clearly, it's not been very long. And now we have been through 
half of them have died kind of fake. One of them has died for, <laughs> for real. real. And brought back through dimension hopping as well, don't forget. And it's also like a seven-year time jump. Yeah, that's going to be really wild. That is going to be very interesting. I wish Gun were not saddled with all of that. I'm so sad because I would have loved if he could have just done his Guardians trilogy. Like a true third movie to the second movie instead of... It's a sequel to Endgame pretty much at this point with all of the Gamora Thanos stuff. And Nebula is kind of the MVP of Endgame, to be honest. Oh, yeah. She's so great in Endgame. And again, I think we mentioned this up top, but Karen Gillan is spectacular in these movies. Absolutely killing it as Terminator Cyborg, uh, crunching her bones back together, and just like flipping her head around. She, and I, I, there's a lot of that in her great voice work, too, is mm-hmm. just like very cold, cold line reads that are enhanced by whatever vocal thing they're doing to her. It's, it's really good. Not to mention, I mean, even something as small as in the Guardians Christmas special when Kevin Bacon sings the song at the end, spoilers for the Guardians Christmas (laughs) special, the way she does that weird little robot dance at the (laughs) end. Yeah, dude, what a a silly little thing. This character has had the the strangest arc of growth (laughs) throughout all of these movies. She fights herself. Everybody talks about Captain America fighting himself. She fights herself pretty brutally. And she has a, I mean, it's not as bombastic. As the I'm the real Buzz Lightyear, I'm the real Buzz Lightyear moment that, <laughs> yeah. that the Captain America gets, but it, it's a more thematically resonant scene, certainly. I mean, she kills herself. Yeah, oh yeah, she, it, it is a... Uh... It is brutal. It's pretty brutal. The very, and it's also a meme now of like you're weak in her responding with "I'm you," but like uh-huh. that's like that's more that has more weight to that character than people joke about. You know, I wonder if that was because I know Gunn did some writing on those movies. Um, I wonder if that's a James Gunn line it, because it seems like be. a James Gunn line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. I know who you are, boy, because you're me. Oh. God, my heart breaks for Yandu. Does Yandu have a last name, or is it like a mononym? Yandu like Odanta? Yand, is he Irish? Od- Odanta? <laughs> There's no one who's Irish, it's Yandu Odanta. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved Yandu Odanta and the Banshees of Inishiran. He should he should have won the Oscar this year. I want to hit some one-liners that I love in Guardians 2. Yeah, well, just yeah, because man. I just want to, I just love, I, I love when... The sov- we haven't even really talked about the Sovereign Sovereign, yeah. For re- I, I touched on Will Poulter. I love when the Sovereign shows up and Yandu just goes, Oh, hell! And drives away. <laughs> I think that's really funny. <laughs> I love the sigh that Peter does right before he jumps out of the out of the core of Ego and he just get- he puts his mask on and he goes, What a day! And then he just starts <laughs> blowing up. Sovereign oh, man. drones. It's, it's, it's good stuff. It is good stuff. And of course, we would be remiss if we got through a conversation about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 without mentioning two of the greatest lines in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. One, you shouldn't have killed my mom and crushed my Walkman. Obviously, badass. That's, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger could have said that in any <laughs> 80s movie. Yeah, and... dude. Holy crap. That could have been the plot of an Arnold movie <laughs> in the 80s movie is he does a John Wick, but because of uh-huh. his Walkman. And, of course, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! Yeah, dude. I was hoping that's the one you were going to next. I, that is such a, oh, such jubilation before such absolute heartbreak in this movie. It is, it is in, insane. 
And that also, of course, is the moment that leads directly into the hero shot of Guardians 2, where all of them are standing as meteors rain down. Or they're not even meteors, I guess. They're just, you know, rocks mm. raining down on them. And Rocket's there with his jetpack. It's so good. Guardians 2 is one of my favorite movies. It is it's one of my favorite movies, Seamus. Pure entertainment. And that is, that's the stamp I give to movies that are... It's like... You know, they're not going to put the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 on Criterion or whatever, you know? It's not going to... It doesn't have that kind of gravitas behind it, but it is so purely well done for what it is. Beautiful action blockbuster comedy with with all the heart and character you need. It's just... It's uh, the perfect little witch's brew of everything that you want out of something like that. And then Stallone is there randomly, too, which is, like, (laughs) a bonus for everybody. Serious, pissed-off Stallone on the robo-brothel planet. It's it's the most bizarre sentence maybe ever, but him coming back through with the OG Guardians and all that that whole thing, I I loved it. Michelle Yeoh, Ving Rhames, give me that movie. Miley Cyrus, right? Isn't she standing up there with him? Oh, yeah, she's the robot. Yeah, yeah, dude. Dude, Ving Rhames is whatever uh, Colossus from the X Men for some reason. I'm <laughs> I'm there, man. Oh man, I I want to see more Stallone and the the Ravager community. You know the big, the greater, the grand scheme of what it meant for you know that funeral, that incredible funeral scene, and all of those people coming back together. Like this is the first time we've done this in years, and it's for Yondu O'Shaughnessy or whatever his name is, and. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I, I love it. The deeper lore between that and the the rest of the things that are introduced in the Guardians that aren't just like, well, that is just a comic book thing that you will never matter ever. I'm I'm so excited about Volume 3 here. I'm going to go watch those damn Groot shorts. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. That's what I love about the post-credit. There's five or six post-credit scenes, I- <laughs> mid-credit scenes so in many. Guardians 2. And normally, I, like, if... We had gone to go see Black Panther, and it had five mid-credit oh scenes. Dude, dude. I would have been so <laughs> mad. <laughs> yeah. But the reason it works for this movie is that it's not just, hey, from the comics, hey, from the comics, hey, from the comics. <laughs> it's going in and creating scenes that Gunn clearly wants to have with these characters and doesn't have a place to put. And so he's crafting little... I mean, they're little, except for the Stan Lee one. They're little either payoffs that didn't fit in the main story or little stories themselves. And I think that that is fantastic. Yeah, it it is... It could have gotten annoying so rapidly, but between all of the... Uh, Guardians Inferno gags that they're doing like on the side while they're insert inserting more stuff. Craglin, you know, trying to figure out the arrow and a Teen Groot, all these little things that are it's it's enough snippet to be like, wow, they're really letting us know that there are plans for the future here. There are things that are going to happen that are maybe a little more thoughtful than just like, well, we know the Guardians have to eventually show up in the next, you know, culmination movies, but we have thoughts for what we want in the future. And then also, like, uh, Jeff Goldblum being (laughs) the little Easter egg, uh, the master, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that where we see him and, you know, there's plenty enough to go around where I, I never get annoyed with that. 
High hopes for Guardians 3 next week, Seamus. Yeah, dude, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be awesome. I, I hope we don't cry in each other's arms, even though... I hope the, we the, do. I was going to say, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings has taught me that that's completely socially acceptable and that we should kiss each other on the foreheads when necessary. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe. We'll see. Probably the last Marvel <laughs> thing I will ever be genuinely excited for. Oh, uh, come on, man. Kihi Kwan, Loki 2, you can't die out on me. That's the only other thing. But that's, it's not, I mean, I'm interested in Loki Season 2. I am excited to return to characters I love in yes. Guardians of the Galaxy Honestly, 3. me too, dude. I, I've been hearing, I've been hearing good things. I haven't been hearing not entirely no negative things, but I, I'm, I'm kind of blacked but, out in terms, I'm blacking out reviews, blacking out future things. I'm excited. I also know that, and we'll definitely get into this next week, the kind of divisive that a James Gunn MCU movie is going to be is different than the kind of divisive that most Marvel movies yes, are. Yes, and that's that's where I'm holding on a little bit here. So, well, I'm I'm very excited to talk about it with you next week, man. Yeah, and let's go ahead and move on to our pop culture reference. David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff. Hey. <laughs> For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about Harry Belafonte on The Tonight Show. In 1968, Johnny Carson took time off from hosting NBC's The Tonight Show, and in his place invited Harry Belafonte to guest host for the week of February 5th through the 9th. At a time when American race relations were at a boiling point, this marked the first time a black man had hosted a late-night program, and Belafonte, an acclaimed entertainer, was also an active civil rights leader. Belafonte fought to have several black guests on, including Aretha Franklin, Dionne Warwick, and Martin Luther King Jr., in his last televised appearance before his assassination. He also brought on Robert Kennedy, who was a vocal supporter of the civil rights movement. Unfortunately, due to NBC's practices of taping over footage in that era, most of these historic interviews are lost altogether. The 2020 documentary The Sit-In, when Harry Belafonte hosted The Tonight Show, uses some of the only surviving and recovered footage of this week of broadcasts to showcase the depth of his personal involvement in the activism that often clashed with his public persona. I didn't know about this documentary until you and I started doing research for this pop culture reference here, and I'm going to go seek that out as soon as possible. That sounds fascinating to me. Yeah, honestly, it really does sound like it would be an incredible, especially because of how much is lost to the, to the public. This is probably the largest collection of these interviews and this footage that anybody can get their hands on right now. And I know a lot of the guests that he advocated to have on were like his close personal friends or people he had personal relationships with. So I think that would just be the most you know, interesting conversations of, of that era that we could probably find right now. Definitely. Definitely. But with that short little interesting reference here, what do you say we wrap it up with no Mando Bros this week and we head right on over to Save the Rec Center? Uh, a, a mercy if there ever was. <laughs> Save the Rec Center! Now it's time to Save the Rec Center where we bring you our weekly rec-amendations. <laughs> I love the elongated rec on that. Thank you. <laughs> Seamus, what do you have this week? I have something. I have another video game, so of course <laughs> many, most people are going to tune out. And Garrett, I have been enjoying 
Final Fantasy Type Zero HD. Oh, hey, you just lost week. me too, man. I was gonna say this is a game that it, ha- it has the Garrett Strother double whammy of being already unbelievably narratively complicated, being a like the twentieth installment of a Japanese RPG series, and it brings in the timed school mechanics of a persona game that you also sound like you would absolutely hate and it mixes them into one confusing experience of a PSP port so I don't know how many of those boys is a PSP port (laughs) yes PSP remaster on the PS4 so granted I will say mechanically it is it's pretty awesome but Every other piece of this game tickles my fancy, and I think it would absolutely make you, like, smash your PlayStation into bits. And so that is my rec center this week for you, Garrett Strother. I don't think I've ever made the face that I'm making <laughs> right now. Oh, my God. I, I like, I had this locked in before the show, and I, I was like, oh, what's going to be my rec center? Oh, yeah, I've been loving this right now, and I only just realized how <laughs> much you would hate this game. But... I love it. The American dubbing of the voice acting is atrocious, which I absolutely love. There's a chocobo breeding mini game. I, that probably means little to you, Garrett. That means I cannot even imagine <laughs> what that means, if I'm being honest. They're giant chicken horses, man. You ride them into battle. I was picturing chinchillas and like putting the <laughs> like I was picturing Punnett squares with chinchillas. Nope, nope, giant battle chickens that you Is ride there like Punnett a horse. squares. I love Punnett squares. Uh, kind of a little bit. You like choose the different uh, breeds of chocobo to breed together and the feed that you feed them to give you different results. So I'm sure there's like Punnett squares in the code of this game somewhere, <laughs> but not for your eyes, Garrett. No, that's a shame. That's anyway, a shame. Well, after bring- my <laughs> after this absolute BS that you will never remember ever, uh, what what do you have for me this week, Garrett? I will I will say this before I get into mine. <laughs> I will someday probably play that Final Fantasy VII remake that's supposed to be really good. That is an interesting choice, Garrett, because I have feelings on that specifically. Well, you know, Seamus, it me- they'll mean nothing to me. <laughs> nothing until. You decide this is the just the glory of those these stupid games is that you can pick any number of them, any one of them, and you don't have to know anything at all, and you'll just be right along with it. So I mean, you'll if you ever get the itch, we will narrow down the thirty different versions of this one game that that'll that'll resonate with you. And that's why my rec center this week is the uh, Kingdom Hearts cutscene movie. <laughs> that, no, it's not. Um, I was gonna say there's no, there's absolutely no way I didn't sit you down and make you watch that. <laughs> there's no way you did that on your own. Uh, my rec center for real this week is something I've already talked about earlier in the episode that is actually on brand. The I Am Brute shorts on Disney Plus are an absolute delight. I went in pretty skeptical about whatever those were going to end up being because why would I have expectations for the I Am Groot shorts? But I'm continually proven wrong because Kirsten Lepore, who actually worked on Everything Everywhere All at Once, was the Hmm. director and writer for all six of these Groot shorts. No way, wow. They are all genuinely compelling, good little stories about... Groot doing miscellaneous misadventure, and they're hilarious, and 
it was surprisingly dark. Like, they have the correct <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy tone of being mean and also cute. Oh, inter- I was looking through them a little bit before, and I was like, one of them is called, like, Groot Takes a Bath. And I'm like, okay, this is for very young audiences then. I get it. This is like a family thing for the introduction to the Guardian stuff, sure. But that's, that sounds like a little bit of a bait and switch, a little bit of a, a little bit of a trick. Watch them in order. On if you go down, if you go into the, if you dare to enter the Marvel tab on Disney Plus, <laughs> if you go down, there will be like an I am Groot section. Start from the left and go to the right because they they do kind of crescendo. They don't have an overarching huh. story or anything, but. The final one is definitely the one that's supposed to be the final one, if that makes sense. Well, that is very. That was one of my curiosities. Was if I did need to watch them in order. So that's you know I like that. I like that they're kind of a little. It's a little series together, even though they feel very independent. So I'm I'm definitely gonna check those out before Friday. I might even try to like if I get through Final Fantasy fast enough, maybe I'll actually I I, I wanted to check out the Guardians game that I know Dude. you enjoyed so much, which I'm almost a little surprised wasn't your rec center, but. I think I recommended it when I played it. Oh so. yes, I think that that is correct. So I I I'm really steeped in it right now. I I'm loving it. Maybe even I'm picking up some comic books or something. You really really go crazy, you know. But I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at PCR underscore Podcast. Email us directly at popculturereferencepod at gmail Like us on Facebook. Like us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Leave us a review, a comment, any kind of engagement you can give us really does help the show out. Next week, unsurprisingly, we will be covering Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yes. Very, very excited about that one. We've got our tickets in IMAX Friday night, ready to go. Very excited about about Guardians 3. And we will see you at the movie theater next week. We are amigos.